This episode of See Here is about Peter Frampton. No, it's not. Fuck Peter Frampton. This is about the dance. Episode 66 of the See Here podcast. One of those rare occasions in 2019 where all three of us are together again. It ain't that neat, neat, neat. It's Morris here in Melbourne. You've just heard the voice of Tim there in Brantford. Yeah. And Mr. Bernard Stickwell over in Bath. Hello. I said, Bernie. I said, what? <laughs> he said, what you want. Right. Now, how long are you going to keep this up, guys? Look, Tim, tell everyone how hot it is where you are when you're recording now, how hot it is. It's hot enough to boil a monkey's bum. Right now, it's about 47 degrees. Jeez. And that's in real degrees, Americans. We're talking about yeah. Celsius. We're talking over here. Oh, damn, damn, damn. What are we here to talk about? What is Esther Roll's favorite album? Damn, damn, damn. We're here to talk about a documentary from 2017, The Damned, Don't You Wish That We Were Dead. So what we're going to do now is play you the trailer. We're going to go take a quick cold shower, or rather maybe Tim will, and then we'll come back and talk to you about Wes Orshorsky's film from 2017, Don't You Wish That We Were Dead. What do you want from me, man? What do you fucking want? Because you know what, really, I don't fucking care about your documentary. I don't care about being in a fucking group. What I care about is survival. It's fucking bollocks. out the door music this is hey fuck you gotta duck so they don't get the proper height when you're going out the door music it's backdrops to crimes i always saw the drums of the true punk band they were like this arty oddball weirdo band that reckless abandon that's the way you play rock and roll Talk about punk rockets, the pistols, and the clash. And truth be told, the, the dam were there too. We saw them on TV. We were like, "What the fuck is this?" It was quite raucous, the whole thing. We'd shimmy along the ledge just to get in somebody's room and shit in their bed. This is a band that really don't give a fuck, and we didn't give a fuck because we didn't have anything to lose. We weren't getting anything like that here. We needed the excitement. We needed the energy. They were better musicians than the other bands. Musicianship was not a dirty word to them. They wanted to play. Those early singles just cut straight through. We thought there were no rules at all, and that's what punk was to us. It wasn't about pigeonholing anything. I'm Johnny Rotten, and I don't care. <laughs> We had everything we'd ever dreamed of. Everything. Somehow the band managed to fuck it up. I was locked up, I was in a room with bars on the bloody window. The stuff that band's gone through by rights, they shouldn't be here, they shouldn't be doing it. All the other bands were getting their major record deals, but we were out there actually on the road, living the life. It was a real punk rock band. I don't give a fuck if the guy next door has never heard of them. Nobody can touch what they did. One of us should have died after making one fantastic album. Episode 66 of See Here Podcast. Morris here, Bernie there, Tim sweating like Cosby in court, as he would say, even further over there. And we're here to talk about the damn. Don't you wish that we were dead? 
IMDB says it's a history of the influential English punk rock band The Damned from their inception in 1976 through to 2015. So we've got a lot of talk about The Damned, music talk as well as film talk. And before we go any further, I should probably actually also say that we'd invited our good friend Eric Peterson to join us because he is a well-known fan of The Damned in our circles and I would have loved to have gotten his perspective on this film he's had the Blu-ray for several years well at least two years I guess since it came out unfortunately because of the heat there was a power blackout over in Ann Arbor in Michigan I don't think that the power is going to be back for at least another 12 hours or so at least according to the information he's provided us so Eric we hope that we do uh, this discussion justice for you You uh, stay cool boy anyway we're going to carry on with this discussion about the film so I'm newest to the music of the Damned out of the three of us. Now, Bernie, we were speaking a bit about the music before we started recording. So I'll go to you, Tim, as you're probably the longest time fan of the Damned. You want to just give us a little bit of a background as to uh, where you picked up on them? Well, actually, it's kind of funny because I picked up on uh, them off the television because they were probably just my, my second memory of recognizing what punk rock was, actually. I had heard about, uh, obviously, about the Last Pistols concert at the Wonderland, because that was all over the news, I remember, in the end of the 70s. But then there was a show in Toronto in the early 80s. It was called the All Night Show. And it was a show where this guy, Chaz Lowther, played a security guard that was given the keys to this TV station. And he would take over the uh, editing suite and just start broadcasting whatever the hell he felt like. And it was like a combination of like old Twilight Zone, Outer Limits episodes, and, and then videos in between, or else cartoons or whatever. And I remember sitting up late one night and just seeing the video for Smash It Up. what the hell is this all about man like like it's, it was just this gleeful anarchy it just drew me in i i just thought it was like this alien transmission that came in and as soon as it came it went and i never really gave much attention to the damned again after that but then a couple years later there was a radio station in toronto cfny and there was a guy from england lee carter who did the show called the original import show where he actually over the telephone he would talk about the latest imports coming in from England, and then they would actually play them in the station because he'd mail them ahead of time. So then again, I caught wind of the damned again. And it was just like, the first time I heard the pistols, yeah, my ears perked up, but it didn't really, glom, I didn't really glom onto it. And the same thing with the clash. But for me, the Ramones and the damned, it was just this immediate frying pan over the head. So back in the day, you know, before all this uh, digital pilfering and being able to get whatever the fuck you want at the snap of your fingers, you had to order imports. So I had to order a copy of Machine Gun Etiquette and, you know, wind up eight weeks later getting a phone call from my local record store and going down there and having to pay the paltry sum of like 32 Canadian dollars at the time. And of course, everybody's coming over to my house wanting to, you know, to borrow it. And I'm just like, no, you're not, I'm not having it. You tape it. So then, you know, and if I was wise, I would have charged people for copy in order to make my $32 back but uh, I wasn't that swift in that well I'll put my cards on the uh, on the table straight away I've always been a bit ambivalent towards the damned I think the first time I was actually aware of them was when Captain Sensible released uh, his single Happy Talk Happy Talk Keep talking Happy Talk Talk about things you like to do You've got to have a dream it was a huge hit here in the UK. It kind of made it to number two in the charts. And I was probably about nine or ten. And I did actually buy the single. I don't have it anymore, but I did have a seven inch of that. And I was kind of vaguely aware that he had, he was in this other band called The Damned, which when I was nine years old seemed quite scary and something that I was not going to investigate. A few years later, in my early teens, I suppose, when I was about 13, 14, kind of getting into music, the kind of music that you liked was uh, 
sort of signifier of, of who you were and whether you were a goth or a punk or whatever. And I was always a bit more post-punk than punk. I guess the generational thing as well, because we would have been talking sort of, I don't know, about 84, 85 at this point. And I, I was into bands like The Cure and Bauhaus and stuff like that. So I was definitely uh, kind of a gothy kid. But a couple of sort of other guys at school were um, way more into the Damned and the sort of Pistols and the original kind of UK punk, which at the time I just found it all a bit meat and potatoes, a bit boring. The post-punk stuff sort of appealed to me a bit more. And I suppose over the years, that's changed a little bit. I can certainly, uh, you know, if I was going to listen to The Clash or The Sex Pistols or The Damned these days, it would definitely be The Damned. I can definitely see the appeal of them more than a lot of other bands from that period. But yeah, never a massive fan, but never kind of disliked them either, if that makes sense. But certainly, you know, aware of them since my early teens, my goth days. It's quite funny as well. For you know what it's like when you're that age and you're kind of arguing about music with people. Like, my band's better than your band. And, of course, being a goth, uh, I used to get a lot of shit for being a goth because everyone else used to, you know, take the piss. And I remember vividly when Phantasmagoria album came out, which is, right. what, 85, 86? Yeah, yeah. That was heavy gothy. Yeah, exactly. This is it. I was a full-on goth and I was not interested in that. And my friend, who was a huge sort of damned fan and professed to be a big punk he was really excited by this lp and i thought dude that's like more gothy than i am piss out of me for it so right. there you go teenagers i was gonna also mention to throw in there was that infamous episode of the young ones only pop music can save us now yeah 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 video nasty right. they play on there yeah, yeah yeah right oh have we got the video and that was one of the first times i saw them again and it was like oh these guys yeah man yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i remember these guys like morris and i had talked earlier in the week about the damned and everything and I agree with kind of what Don Letts was saying in in the documentary about where the Pistols and the Clash were trying to make a point, and the dam took that point and poked you in the eyes with it. Yeah, absolutely. Their point was, there's no point. (laughs) And that's what I loved about them so much more than the Clash and the Pistols. There was a time at one point where the Clash were almost like glamour boys. When when Combat Rock came out in Sandinista, they were they're almost like dare I say it like almost like fashion punks. Well, they were mainstream you know? darlings, I think, you know, especially yeah, because right, of Rock the Casbah right, right. and Should I Stay or yeah. Should I Go. That yeah, was- right. Pistols had already came and went. What I liked about the Dam was that there was never any kind of dilution of what they were doing. It was you, you never had to fear that they were going to kind of dissolve into some Olivia Newton-John. Have you ever been mellow? They were never going to kind of lose their edge. They were always going to bite. I think it's made fairly clear as, as you kind of watch the documentary. They always followed their own muse, and sometimes that went in directions completely away from what would be their core audience or what would something that would possibly have made them more popular. With hindsight, looking at them now, I've got a lot more respect for them doing that than someone like The Clash or The Pistols who were, well, let's not go there. (laughs) What was the music scene like in England? It was so fucking boring here, you couldn't get a gig. No one was interested in high-energy rock and roll and stuff like that. This was a complete revelation for me. I only knew, well, I mean, I guess I knew that Young Ones episode, but that had been way, way long ago. And I think, like you, Bernie, my first connection to them in any form was through Captain Sensible, but not through Happy Talk. I don't really remember. That might have been a top 40 single here, but the big one was What? Oh, yeah, Um, yeah. He said, Captain. I said, What? He said, Captain. I said, What? And you know, I just remember going to school and everyone was doing, I said, Captain! And someone else would do, I said, what? It was that type of novelty song, but that was the first knowledge that I had of anyone in connection to them. A few years ago on Love That Album, the compilation edition, Eric had gone and done an episode on Machine Gun Etiquette, justifying it as a compilation album because it was the, I think, 25th anniversary edition of the album. So it had a whole bunch of extra tracks. So he said, well, that's a compilation. I thought, yep, good. So I remember listening to that and thinking, oh, yeah, 
yeah, okay, some of this is all right. But I really sort of dived head in to listen to a bunch of albums in prep for this episode of the show. I went and listened to a compilation album, which may not have actually been the best place to start because... Some of those albums with complete statements, they were either really great ones like Damn Damn Damned or Machine Gun Etiquette, but some of the other albums might have had individual cuts which didn't really appeal to me so much. Actually, now that I come to say of it, this might sound sacrilegious, but Damn Damn Damned isn't as appealing to me as something like Machine Gun Etiquette where they started to go in that different direction. Machine Gun Etiquette is, mm-hmm. to my is a lot more melodic there. Maybe, I don't know, without wanting to sort of go put the labels of New Wave or whatever, but it was less about just the pure punk energy of Damn Damn Damned and they were more up-tempo pop songs, if that makes any sense. Damn Damn Damned has some great songs that I really love, like, you know, New Rose and Neat Neat Net. I think they're great riffs and they're great songs in their own right. Machine Gun Etiquette is where it starts for me. And I also listened to the Black Album. And I've got a couple mm-hmm. things to say as we go further on down the line. Holy fuck, I love that album. I really, really do. Might end up being an episode unto itself for the Love That Album podcast at some stage. As the film explains as well, with the first couple albums, it was like Brian was the guitar wonderkin who is coming up with these killer riffs and the songs. But then after he bows out, then the guys actually start to find their own voice. And that's when it really starts to take off. And when you listen to their latest album, Evil Spirits, from, I don't know, was it a year or two ago, it sounds more like, I don't know if it's a milder version of what they started out as, and yet it still sounds very much The Damned. I found that album to be a lot of fun. I really, really dug that. They're a band which I think long after this podcast episode has been recorded i'll still be sticking with i just found a lot of that material so appealing and i want to go beyond the black album now there was another album that eric mentioned to me during the week called i can't remember the name of the album but the band was naz nomad and the nightmares It was their equivalent of the Dukes of Stratosphere, although, mind you, Dukes of Stratosphere was making originals from stylistic similarities of bands from the 60s, whereas these are actually out-and-out covers. But they're taking on a different identity, and that was an album that I really, really dug. I found a lot of fun. But I guess they always sort of like to do their covers. I mean, they did Eloise as The Damned, Mm -hmm. so I'm not actually quite sure where Naz Nomad fits in the chronology. I found on YouTube a video of The Damned doing Alone Again or... I thought yeah. that's as far away from damn, damn, damned as you can get. But it was interesting that it showed that unlike the Pistols, which had said, this is year zero, we reject everything that's gone on before. And right. these guys are saying, no, we don't reject any of that. We love all that sort of stuff. We're just going to take right. it and put our spin on it. Now, I want to put something out there for a minute. Right from the beginning, when I first time I heard The Damned, I kind of got a really a vibe off them. Not necessarily musically, but just the feeling of it was like The Who. I completely it, see you know, that. Yeah, like it just the sense of, you know, like a crazy drummer, four guys that you wouldn't expect to see together. But there's this energy to them. You know, they can be as heavy as fuck, but then they can have a complete, you know, like a, a tender moment or a pop sensibility. And it's just, you know, they ran the gamut. You know, they just did what they wanted to do. The Who weren't overly political at all. And yet a lot of the songs that they wrote were political. They were social songs. It's like Brian James says in the documentary, you know, I wrote these songs about the street. 
and a lot of what the Who did were songs about the streets. Mm. So they were political if you really sat down and looked at the lyrics, but they didn't hammer you over the head with it. They didn't have to wave flags or anything. I'm a boy, I think, is as political as you can get when you're talking about social mores rather than political in the governmental sense or fighting the mm-hmm. power. And of course, I mean, they were suspicious of that whole thing, you know, with meet the new boss, same as the old boss. It's more suspicion sure. against rallying against the status quo because, you know, after a while, right. they become the status quo. I was going to say that there are two things that made me think of The Who while listening to their music and watching this film. One in that Rat Scabies is, to me, a very Keith Moon-like drummer. Oh, Yeah. In a song on Machine Gun Etiquette, my ears pricked up. One of the songs I really dug was a tune called Melody Lee. And if you listen at the very end of the song, you hear faintly, I'm not sure who it is, whether it's Dave Banyan or Captain Sensible, one of them says, And that's the last thing that you hear on the Who song, Happy Jack, which is a great story unto itself as to why that's there. Maybe we'll go into it when we eventually cover The Kids Are All Right. But they've shown themselves to be... uh, they definitely had an affinity for The Who, and a, a band that energetic and also showing themselves to be fans of old pop, there was no way that they couldn't be Who fans. Is it Chrissy Hine? She's one of the talking heads in the films, and she brings up the fact that they, unlike a lot of punk bands from that period, the sort of first wave of British punk, they were actually shit-hop musicians, and they could actually oh, yeah. play really well. I mean, I think Rat Scabies is one of the all-time great rock drummers, let alone punk drummers. Do you know what I mean? He was just Mm. phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Can I bring something up in relation to that? When Eric did his compilation edition episode of Love That Album talking about Machine Gun Etiquette, he pointed out that Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden, not the Bruce Dickinson that we know and love that produced Beware the Reaper. By the way, my name is Bruce Dickinson. Yes, the Bruce Dickinson. Yeah, I mean, you're Bruce Dickinson. He said that Bruce Dickinson had gone and made some public disparaging comment that punk musicianship and the damned were subpar and punk bands couldn't compete with the technical mastery of Iron Maiden. Now, Eric also said that Captain Sensible had challenged him to play any damned song and make it sound half decent, which I suspect Dickinson never took up. But I don't know if either of you guys had watched the DVD of the Ramones documentary, End of the Century. One of the moments that they cut out of the film but they left on as a bonus extra has Marky Ramone talking to the camera. He's sitting behind the drum kit and he's saying that, you know, pretty much a similar sort of thing, how a lot of highly trained musicians, either classical or jazz musicians, had said that punk's nothing and they have no musicianship skills. And Marky says, well, let me show you something. And then he sits behind the drum kit and he plays the most incredibly complex, time-changing jazz licks like you wouldn't imagine. And he says, I can do that, but let me see any jazz musician who can do this for an hour and then he goes and plays a Ramones riff you know just straight 4-4 but super fast he says they can't do that I can do your shit you can't do my shit in the film we never see anyone who says that the damned were anything less than great musicians but it's interesting that Eric had picked up on another side of it where this pompous Iron Maiden screamer is uh, is challenging challenging for their skills so an interesting thing too about the player the damned was kind of like a hub when they started because mick jones was involved and then he goes off with the clash and then you know brian james you know and then he gets involved with billy idol Mm. and creates generation x so i mean they were almost like a melting pot in, in some ways you know, and then Chrissy Hine, you know, with the Pretenders, you know, and then she talk, and they talk about how Malcolm McLaren was the one who brought them all together. And it's like he didn't even know that Rat could play drums. He just said, yeah, he looks like he can play. That's what's important. <laughs> I, I, I just think it's really interesting how they started like that. Well, apparently so that was a band which never actually played. They all rehearsed and right. got together, but they all went off to join bands that actually went out and played and I think it's just amusing I've got to mention this here where Don Letts says and I think Chrissy wanted to call the band Mike Hunt's Dishonorable Discharge which didn't go down too well with the guys
let's talk about the film as a film because we've gone and discussed a lot of documentaries on this show. And I want to ask you guys how you felt this worked as a documentary. I liked it, but I have some reservations, which I'll get into. So, Tim, this was, I think, your pick. Do you think that this film works well in telling the damned story? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do for one main reason. And one kind of personal peeve I've had with a lot of documentaries in the past, music documentaries, is that it's really slanted. You only get one side. And a lot of it is, too, you know, some people just don't want to be involved. Or they just, or they're not even approached sometimes in other circumstances. But in this film, you get everybody's take on it. You get Rat's take on it. You get Brian James's take on it. You get Sensible's take on it. You get Vanian's take. You get the fans' take on it. You get other musicians' take on it. It's pretty well-rounded film as far as I'm concerned because. Not everybody has the same stance, you know, obviously in terms of Brian James and rap of being out of the blood, um, and even Vanian and, and, and Sensible do not have the same kind of perspectives. But that's what I liked about it was that everybody kind of to throw their hat in the ring and everyone had their say, which I think is important because then it's a collective. To me, what was really amazing is despite their differences and despite their different perspectives, they were all able to come together, and I think there's a real testament to that. Yeah, I kind of agree with you, Tim. I, I think, from a technical point of view, as a documentary, uh, as a piece of filmmaking, it's kind of put together competently. It doesn't do anything that pretty much all music documentaries don't do now. It's just the, the talking heads and footage and more talking heads and so on. That's kind of like the standard format, and that's what this does. But as you say, it's not biased one way or another. Everybody gets their say, and the director is kind of not afraid to show people to maybe be kind of assholes at certain points. He kind of gives people enough rope to hang themselves, as it were. And the other thing as well, it's, it's I guess this is uh, true of any documentary. You need interesting people and an interesting story. And whilst the story, again, isn't anything particularly new, it does have its ups and downs and twists and turns, and they're an entertaining bunch of characters. So that in itself uh, is a big plus, I think. Yeah, I think it certainly works as a film. I certainly agree with both of you that it doesn't allow any one side of the fractured relationship that the four original members had to overtake the film and you do get the Vanian and Sensible camp versus the James and Scabies camp. There was a, the moment where Sensible had said that Scabies had taken hold of the rights to the first couple of albums, I think, and was not giving them their royalties or something like that, but Scabies comes back and says, well, I'm giving them more than what British law actually requires me to do. They all come out like they're, they're arguing and they all seem petty and yet you all feel some level of sympathy with all of them at some stage of the film. So, yeah, you're right. It is fairly even handed in that regard. I had a couple of issues with the film as a documentary and it's just maybe how I pick up on things. But once again, you're right, Bernie, there's nothing particularly different in this it's you know talking heads is footage i think that when i watch a, a talking heads style documentary i want the person who i'm listening to to be able to have adequate time to tell their story i think that there was with the editing that they did in parts of the film you might get one person saying one sentence and another person saying another sentence and then a third person saying a third and i found that often quite disjointed the first time i watched the film and i watched it twice the first time i watched it I was finding, I'll just go along with the gist because there were moments like earlier on in the film where they described how they got together. I was thinking, hang on, who is that person? What, what are they talking about? I didn't quite get it. And then I watched it, read up some history, watched it again, and it made more sense. But I just sort of think stylistically uh, as an editing decision, I think there were moments where I would have liked, give this person you know, a whole 30, 40 seconds or a minute, whatever to say right. their less, piece. Less that, people, more content from the person right right i mean it, it could be argued well maybe this quick 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 thing was a stylistic decision to reflect the music you know because punk is about going in right. there short sharp and quick but if you're watching a film that's telling a story 
I want more than the gist. And the other thing is, I understand stylistically what they were doing with this was, okay, we're going to give you a bit of history. Now we're going to come contemporary and see where they are here in 2015 or whenever to say how they're getting on. And then we go back to a bit of history and then we come back contemporary. And it just seemed a little bit haphazard for me as a new fan. That's why I was sort of wanting to know, like, you know, yourself, Tim, as a longtime fan, that you think that that works because more or less you knew the chronology of the band. So, Morris, you were talking about the past and the present of the past. You know, I see that the Sensible is quite happy to do this until he can't do it anymore. But you get an inkling that Dave is a little bit different and he's thinking, he's, can I do anything else? So, where he, he doesn't even show up. Vanian is the guy who they said in the film he was the hardest to sort of track down as to what he was actually all about. I mean, he's very forthcoming with information in the interviews. But he didn't, no one doesn't in the band much him. by himself, does he? No, he's there and then he's not there, and he. Yeah. So I make it makes you wonder whether or not he feels like he's, you know, initially what he started, he's kind of become resigned to being pigeonholed into it. You know, with legacy becoming, you know, now he's at the point where this is all I can do. Uh, I don't know if you're doing the same thing for thirty five 40 years you know if, if you're not enjoying it maybe it's time to give it up but you know they're still out there they're still touring they're still recording aren't they so One thing I was going to say, we, we were talking earlier about the film working as a, a sort of music documentary and kind of who it's aimed at, really, and, you know, some of the editing choices, perhaps. I don't know whether that was maybe a, a running time thing or whatever, but I do feel with this, and I suppose you could read this as a bit of a criticism, is that it, it feels very much like a film for the fans. That's Not that that's a bad thing in itself, but if you're not really aware of the damned or like them, this isn't necessarily going to give you much to kind of pull you in, you know? But that's always the two-inch mm-hmm. sword that a documentary film yeah, maker course. is going to do. You're going to get the fans who are going to say, come on, we know all this sort of stuff. Give us something yeah. juicy. I believe that one criticism that had come out of this film was that there wasn't enough archival footage and it was more based around whatever reunion it was in the 2010s. Yeah, yeah. Because of legality. Yeah sure or, or maybe you know a lot of footage was just not seen as being of decent quality enough that they could put into a film right. like this I it's don't know like... I remember them being on TV an awful lot on youth music type programs and top of the pops and all sorts of things right. and I'm sure there's plenty of footage there but mm. as you say I wonder if it's a rights issue and particularly with stuff that I don't know because it seems like Rat was the one who was being a bit of an ass about things like that so right maybe, that's what I'm yeah. saying like it makes yeah. you wonder because of legalities now. the yeah, one thing that absolutely. you talk about the old footage that made me laugh was that I remember when that film came out the year punk broke with uh, Nirvana at Reading and, and, Kurt, <laughs> yes. and, and Kurt Cobain jumps on on the girl's drum kit you know and destroys the drum kit and everyone's like whoa he just took out the drum kit and it's just like children children yeah. way back way back it's like roll it back you know like check this out for size you know and then it's like like i love that footage you know when sensible is telling the crowd he's like you're calling me a wanker you paid to see me assholes <laughs> <laughs> you know and he's like oh i'm peter frampton look at my luxurious hair <laughs> like that's awesome you hear the stories about them and then you're thinking, okay, now this can't be half as bad as what they're saying. And then you see an inkling of some of that footage. You just go, holy shit, man. Yeah, like, yeah. That was bedlam, you know, like whacking audience members with guitars. Watching Sensible do that sort of shit sort of reminded me a lot of Bob Stinson because, you know, he was getting dressed up in the tutus and dancing yeah. around. Oh, and, oh, yeah, yeah. And maybe in a way because of the wig, I also sort of thought of uh, Fee Wable from the tubes because uh, he had his character Quilude 
and they used to sort of you know, get dressed up in these costumes although I think that with them it was more about theatre rather than just having a bit of a lark so I think yeah Sensible is sort of channeling Bob Stinson oh yeah well one of the funniest things the stories I ever heard about uh, the damned about the early days was you know how all the the early British punks used to gob on everybody you know and they, they you know they just start hitting them all you know with sea of saliva even in the documentary where Rat was talking about Sensible pissing into the drum head, there were shows when Sensible would be pissing into a plastic cup, and then all of a sudden, you know, the punk start gobbling on him, and he's like, oh, bodily fluids, right. Just throws a cup of piss right into the crowd, right? There's a regular occurrence of that. You're giving it to us, well, we're going to give it right back to you. <laughs> and now he looks like somebody's old granddad, you know, an old geezer. One thing I wanted to uh, sort of bring up, and maybe it's a little bit ironic considering that, you know, they started out in the era of punk when everything was supposed to be new and fresh and all that, but one of the things that you see in the film is interviews with some of the fans. Earlier on in the film is, no, who are the damned, who are the damned? But later on in the film, where you speak to some of the diehard rabbit fans, one of them who's speaking just outside the theatre says, oh yeah, for me the damned will always be scabies... Vanian, Sensible, and Brian yeah. James, but in the same sentence, he or another fan says something, the band is about freedom of expression. This is not just on damned fans, because this could be on anyone, but it's not about freedom of expression. It's about nostalgia. How many bands do you go to with that length of time that you get into the audience and you hear them scream out, play us your new songs? These guys, they're talking about a lineup that hadn't been a recording entity yeah, since yeah. 78, 79. Right. Uh, I mean, they right. did have a brief, as the film points out, there was a brief reunion that went pear-shaped in 1991 with that original lineup. When a fan says this is all about freedom of expression, no, it's about them reliving the memories where you were when you first heard that song. Absolutely. And I don't have a problem yeah. with nostalgia. I don't have a problem with recalling what you were doing at the time, but to right. go out and say well you know they're speaking my mind no maybe they were speaking your mind 40 years ago but not right. anymore they've gone and made you know, many great albums in between with other lineup they're right. still the damn you know those people who are saying that as well have got all those damned albums they've got everything that yeah. they've ever released mm. but they'll show up right. there and say oh for me it's always that period yeah and you'll probably yeah. find with fans like that as well that they're really super into one band's but not really anything else. It's like someone obsessing about model cars or something like that, I always feel. I'm not uh, dissing that kind of thing, because we're all a bit like that, if you're kind of obsessive about music or film or whatever, you're, you know? You're all or nothing. It's, all or nothing. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's, I, I always find it interesting how people do, some fans just fixate on one yeah. artist, that's yeah. it. Their dads would have been saying, oh, these damned are a bunch of shit. It's not like the Stones when I was a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, their dads, the only records yeah. he owns are like every Rolling Stones record ever. So, right. Or maybe yeah, just the greatest hits. Jello Biafra is in the film where he says there's a piece where he says that there's a little bit of Jerry Lee Lewis in The Damned, and I agree. It might be kind of hard to understand, but I look more at bands like, to me, The Damned are more like bands like Dr. Fields kind of have that rebelliousness of the original wave of rock and roll. Whereas with The Pistols and The Clash, they were trying to do something different. The only thing that The Damned were doing different from the past was that they were basically being raunchier than the original rock and roll guys were. It's interesting you say, Tim, that the Pistols were trying to do something different. I think if you listen to Nevermind the Bollocks or any of their output, frankly, their stuff just sounds really meat and potatoes and really kind of stayed. And you can trace a direct line sure. from 60s, 50s, 60s rock and roll to what they're doing. They're not doing anything well, new well, musically. I mean, Jonathan Richmond. You know, Jonathan Richmond was more punk Jonathan than Sid Richmond. Vicious. <laughs> what I'm saying is the Pistols doing Roadrunner. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know the words. 
Yeah, there's that. Uh, the pistols were all style and no substance, I, I feel. Yeah, but in their mindset, they were trying to do something different. They were trying to basically break free of the norm. And the same thing with the Clash, where I think the Damned were just basically, if they had a piano, they'd set it on fire, just like Jerry Lee Lewis did. They had that whole kind of mindset to me, like Screaming Jay Hawkins and like, you know, Hazel Atkins and those kind of guys, where, you know, it wasn't about being as raucous and being off the chain. To your point about them not doing anything different, that's yes and no in my mind. Because as the film points out, which I think just about every documentary about the history of punk does, it says that the Damned and other bands of their ilk were doing something different to what had immediately come before them. And so in the, I don't know whether it was the mainstream that the charts were being filled up with bands that were playing in multiple time signatures or playing super fast or super technical and they were going away from the basics of what rock and roll had started out as so right, they're getting into the proggy stuff and things were supposedly very very difficult in england at the time I, they didn't mention it in this film but i think i'd heard in some other film that at the time there was a big garbage strike and people hadn't correct, yeah, collected yeah. their rubbish yeah. from it. so this was a reaction to what they were seeing in the streets this is a reaction to the music which they saw as completely elitist right. and it was going back to basics what had made rock and roll exciting to begin with so it's not different right. from what right. had come before in the beginning of rock and roll but it's different to what rock had morphed into and yet as is pointed out in this film the dam was saying we believe that we have chops and it's okay to get back to basics with chops we're not playing like alan white or bill bruford but we're playing rat, like rat scabies and that's still really mighty exciting can we dare say that the damned are like the the akadaka of punk well i guess you could accept that the damned have more than one or two riffs <laughs> and, and, I, and i say that i say that as a huge fan of bon scott era acdc right i always kind of connected the damned to earlier things almost like screaming lord such arthur brown even hawkwind in a way and not just the Lemmy connection, but just the idea that there was just people doing it their way. There were certain groups in England doing it their way. And I mean, and again, to go back to America, you know, like Chickens and Hazel Atkins and all of that, it was just, there's a real kind of primal, guttural, back to basics kind of thing, you know. And I think there's a real line that runs through that. You have to bear in mind that Captain Sensible is a huge fan of kind of 60s psychedelia and garage. Oh, yeah. Kind of rock, yeah, yeah. And so, so is Dave Vanian, obviously, because, you know, his Phantom Chords were just a garage rock band, weren't they? And the, uh, well, yeah, that's no band the Nightmares. Mm. Yeah, exactly. They were kind yeah. of the 60s garage rock type covers. So the, there's definitely uh, a line that can be drawn. And, uh, you know, they made no bones about that. Whereas you've been saying a lot of other punk bands from that period, it was kind of like year zero. This is where it all begins. Right. And there was always right. a line right the way through, as, as you're saying, Tim, with The Damned. Absolutely. I was up on stage and I, I don't know what it is. I can't stop myself. You know, I'm an arsehole. They give me a microphone and I just say the most, the first thing that comes to the front of my mind. briefly talk about a couple of moments from the film because in the end despite my criticisms before about it going all over the place i think you still overall get the picture that the band that was still very passionate about what they did and they did want to go to different places and songs like curtain call that i mentioned before were a long way from where they started and they wanted to go to different places so ultimately this is a film about musicians working for their art and maybe art's a wrong word here they'd probably call me a pretentious wanker for saying that but it's a film that's a celebration of who they were despite the fact that you know they got into scrap ups and money and stuff got in the way there are a couple of bits in the film which I guess are genuinely, I don't know if you want to call it touching, but certainly you get a little bit emotional. So there's that bit where Rat Scabies is trying to put some perspective 
on what had happened, I think, after Phantasmagoria. And the band had achieved some level of success in the States. And he said, My first boy had been born. And I was feeling really kind of up. Got money, got the house, got a car, children, everything, wife, career. And um, I walked into the rehearsal room. And I looked around and there was like mess of boogie amps and trace of your bass and a big drum kit with too many cymbals and two road crew guys and nice air conditioned rehearsal room and we picked up our instruments and I sat behind the kit and um, nobody knew what to play. We had everything we'd ever dreamed of, everything. But the one thing we didn't have was the will to play. We no longer had the will to actually play. Sensible was out of the band at that stage, but I'd have been interested to see what his take would have been had he been in the band at the time. I imagine that Scabies had it right. There was only Vanian left, I think, from the mm-hmm. original lineup at that time. Obviously, when you know, a few years later, when the I think it was after the Phantom Chords, where Sensible approaches Vanian and says, "Oh, you know, what do you reckon? Should we do this again?" The Damned were a big part of their lives, and it was obviously the music, those songs meant a lot to all of them so they needed that time away from each other to actually sort of find their ground again it would seem but I I just found that to be a moment where just to put some perspective and it could be the same about any band which spends way too much in each other's company they spend hours and hours and months in the same touring van isn't that something that keith morris says in the film i i like keith morris so much but oh yeah he's he, an awesome dude uncle keith he says in the film when you're in a band with other people maybe initially you're all friends and you're all bros and we're all in this together and it's one for all and all for one but once you get in a vehicle and you start traveling and you're always in each other's faces and all of the ugly bits and pieces and parts of people's personalities start to surface, uh, it could be real easy to say, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Ostensibly different personalities to begin with, they don't see that side of it. The fans ought to give the band a break. Ostensibly, that's the history of every band that's been around for right. more than a year or two. Well, that's yeah. That's what somebody said years ago. They said, you know, you can plug in a guitar and go, but you just can't plug in a player and go. I just want my fortune now. I don't care where or when or how. I don't want the dustbin or the cuddly toy. I'm going for the jackpot, boy, oh boy, oh boy. See me on the box, see me wearing lots of blue now, yeah. That's just it, and that's the irony of it all, is, is that you think every band, like you're saying, with what Keith was saying, or just, you know, wind them up, and here we are now, entertain us. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. The other sad bit in the film, well, well, there are a couple, but the other one I want to refer to is, once again, with Rat Scabies. Towards the end of the film, I think he just, he'd had enough. I don't know how long Wes Orshawski had been interviewing him for, whether this had been running over a period of a couple of years or a month or so, but there's that moment where you see Rat walking through, like, an outdoor market, and he's just saying, I don't give a fuck about your film, I don't give a fuck about the other members of the band, it doesn't matter. What did we do? We recorded a few songs. It's not like we cured cancer or anything. It doesn't matter. It's all bullshit. And you just sort of wonder, was he having a bad day? Or had he finally just sort of had enough? Talking about the band, about thinking about the damned, had Captain Sensible gone and sent him a message that he just was fed up with? Those two camps, you just sort of think, come on, knock your heads together, guys. I mean, you don't have to play together, but... If it didn't matter, then he'd give up the rights to the other guys. Full credit to Orshawski for leaving that bit in. He could have said, look, I'll do you a favor. Yeah. You're probably having a bad day. But he didn't cut that out. So you know, full credit. As you're coming back to you, the both of your points early on, that it's warts, if not warts and all, but it certainly mm. is warts. It's interesting because I, I always felt that without knowing a huge amount about the ins and outs of the bands, I, I always felt that Scabies was the one who was hard done by, and I always felt that he was kind of the one who was sort of ostracized and kicked out or, or what have you. 
but obviously watching this it kind of seems that actually he was the one who's actually being a bit of an ass looking out for number one more than looking out for the band but that's the impression right. i got anyway is obviously yeah. people choose sides and read things in different ways but he kind of went down in my estimation a little bit after watching this you get to the thing where some Sometimes the whole is greater than the part. Uh, brings so much influence to the little engine that could, you know. You either do get people saying, look, regardless of our prerogatives and regardless of, you know, the past and our spats, we got to, you know, we're part of this train that's got to keep rolling down the track. Or else you take the other perspective where it says, well, fuck the train. It's going to run out of track, you know, like it don't, the train doesn't mean anything to me. And that's, you know, like you're saying, what Scabies did, you know, he's, he's not saying, you know, like it doesn't matter. I was part of this creation, you know, part of this movement. I don't give a shit. And I think that kind of falls down on a lot of people that are in the punk scene is that when people get older, they grow up. A lot of people are still proud of what they've done. If they've recorded or if they put on shows or they created zines or, or their artists or anything. But then there's certain people that were just like, yeah, it's all bullshit, man. Like it's, it amounted to nothing. I just wasted my life as a youth. It was, I was just a stupid kid, you know. I think there always seems to be a little bit of bitterness there as well because they're uh-huh. realizing that being a grown-up isn't the same thing and you've got to earn a living, you've got to make tough sure. choices and it's, it's weird, complicated stuff, isn't it? Okay, you've had three amateurs give their opinions on this film for the last however period of time, but the damned professional, the man who knows more about the damned than any of us, and I dare say that he knows quite a lot, is uh, our good friend Eric Reanimator. Power has been restored in Ann Arbor. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you, thank you. We're actually sort of like close to the end, close to okay. summation of our thoughts, but you came online and said, are you still recording? And we thought, well, we'd love to get your perspective on sure. the, the film. Yeah, I just I just had some notes that I had uh, jotted down that I thought I would have brought up during the regular conversation. And maybe you guys talked about this stuff, maybe you didn't. So a couple of things. Following up on the film, uh, I don't know if anybody saw Edgar Wright talking about his creation of the soundtrack for the film Baby Driver, during which he actually referenced that he had seen this documentary and listening to Dave Vanian kind of grumble about why aren't, you know, why isn't our music being used in commercials and movies? His response is, well, Mr. Vanian, I have a treat for you. For those of you that haven't seen it, Baby Driver has a very pivotal scene that that has a damn track that's played in its entirety. So that was Nate, 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 wasn't it? During one of the pivotal heist scenes. So that that was interesting to see a filmmaker kind of answer something that he had seen in this film. And while I understand Dave Danian's kind of grumbling about their legacy, you know, I also understand that, you know, they've been around for... 40, 40 plus years at this point, getting close there. And that, you know, maybe their time has come or is going to come. They do have a solid fan base. I know their records are out there. They're in print. Yes, while the, the masses may not know of them, their, their name is in that history book of punk rock. So there's that. Oh, so their, their album, their most recent album, Evil Spirits, actually did chart fairly high. I'm crawling out my skin like a serpent born of sin. So they had, I think, maybe even their first number one record this year, which in today's climate maybe isn't the feat that it would have been in, you know, 1980. But still, it's impressive that a band that is this far down the pike and has this many original members left would be able to put out a record that would chart. Pun intended, it's a damn good album. I'm a fan. I think that that leads into their music really holds up. Yeah, there's some of it that maybe seems a little more dated than others, but I think overall that Machine Gun Etiquette and Damn, 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 along with maybe History of the World, or I'm sorry, the Black Album with History of the World, I think that those records will stand the test of time. No matter what people think about some of the other records, those three records are kind of the signpost for garage punk, punk rock, and then kind of post-punk. So my other thought was, and let me just throw this out to you guys, 
Are the Damned the next band that, that should be in line for a Bohemian Rhapsody Rocketman type musical? And what I mean by that is not a factual biopic as much as a film that showcases their history through their music in a visually inventive way. Given that films like Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman, it's not even so much that they take liberties with the truth, but they've followed a uh, patented formula. Rocketman was different to Bohemian Rhapsody in that maybe they took a little bit of an artistic difference by making it into a musical that had fantasy sequences in it. So they took some differences there. But ultimately, it's the rise and fall and true love wins out in the end sort of thing. Sure. So it's it's a tried yeah. and true formula the, the, mm. to, to do something like the damned they'd have to move away from that formula I was saying to Bernie offline I think before that for me one of the better biopic films and I have no idea how factually accurate it is but Control about Ian Ian, Ian, Curtis. Ian Curtis Okay, that completely works for me because it's low key I mean I, I always say that most biopics work better where they're telling one story like something that happened over a period of a month right. rather sure. than over right. a period of 40 years so well, the damn to work it would have to let's take one story out of their back history yeah. just brings them to mm-hmm. light and I can see Hollywood completely fucking it up you know they didn't yeah. have like Owen Wilson as Captain Sensible or Ginger Kid from Harry Potter being Rat Scabies or some. Yeah, I could just see Hollywood completely shit. Could be. I'm talking more a film that you know. like showcases the music. I'm not a fan of that format. I, I really don't like how films like Bohemian Rhapsody mm-hmm. and Rocket Man. Uh, I don't know that. I just find that kind of format so incredibly unappealing. I don't need someone else creating some weird visuals for me so I can interpret the music through someone else's eyes or ears, you know, I just want to listen to it. Although coming back to a film that we discussed a couple of years ago, which was Love and Mercy about Brian Wilson, there's that section of the film where they focus on Brian in the studio with the wrecking crew and showing his thinking process, how he came up with these ideas for Hal Blaine's drum pattern for Wouldn't It Be Nice? or the chord structures between what Carol Kay was doing with what the more classical bass string sections were doing. And I find that sort of thing really wonderful. And I thought, that's what I want to see. I want to see it in a biopic. I mean, yeah, sure, you've got the day-to-day sort of thing, but it's about a musician, and I want to see something about what was their thinking pattern. How mm-hmm. did they come up with that? And if a film about the damned, I, I guess it's less about, oh, let's try this chord rather than that chord, but yeah. I'd like to see something of them in the studio and being a creative force, because I imagine it would be wild and exciting and interesting. So if they yeah. approach it in that regard, yeah, I think it'd be great. All right. You planning on producing a film like that, Eric? No, no. Um, <laughs> I would I would want, a, a personally, and this is what I want for most bands, is I want a documentary that goes album by album. And it talks about the influences, talks about where they were, what they were doing, what they were thinking about, who they were listening to, who they were reading. I'm surprised so, this hasn't been done yet, because in England, I forget the company who does the classic albums. Mm-hmm. BBC that uh, used to do them, they have haven't done them for a while but yeah bbc4 has this kind of music strand on a friday night and quite often they'll show those uh, classic albums or, or similar documentaries like that right. i've got yeah. a bunch of uh, old bbc documentaries from the early noughts they did like a rock britannia they didn't always necessarily go into depth but basically the bbc was saying we consider music to be important enough to have yeah. documentaries on them there's a lot of footage that the bbc filmed throughout the sort of 60s 70s 80s oh, yeah, yeah. i mean you look at all the TV. whistle the whistle test exactly yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so they, they've got archives filled with this stuff yeah. so it's easy for them to just kind of put these things together and they do generally tend to be really good the prog britannia one is is really good yes yes and, uh, the synth britannia one is really good as well i don't know if you've seen that one i have yeah yeah it was great yeah it's good stuff yeah well i think the sign of a good documentary is even if you're not particularly a fan of the genre or the artist that mm-hmm. you can find something in it that you know you can latch on to a well-told right. story yeah. is a well-told yes. story every night i'm there i'm always there she knows i'm there And heaven knows I hope she goes I find it hard To realize that 
maybe we're probably approaching the end of our discussion of the film so the three of us have pretty much sort of made our thoughts known where we stood on it as a film so maybe Eric you want to close off the sure. discussion just to give a few thoughts what you thought of it as a documentary so uh, overall I thought it was, was very very good I get a little tired of the interpersonal squabbles I think they need to be acknowledged but I don't think they need to take up as much time as maybe they did in this film I'm more interested in the the music and how it reflected the time and the kind of cultural archaeology and how people rediscover them or discover them initially to me you need that forming the band part of the story and you know when things fall apart fine I think it did a really good job of humanizing all the members all the core members of the band that had significant screen time by talking about not just their foibles but the good things about them and it seemed pretty egalitarian as far as showing both sides of everybody you know and and maybe some of them especially rat scabies came off a little harsher than the rest of them but I, I think that they didn't overdo it to either extreme I think it was good that they got a diversity of other musicians talking about the dam I also think that it was important that even though it's a sore subject that they acknowledge the guns and roses in the room if you will and that there was some hard feelings about that overall I think it's well worth seeking out and it's definitely one of the better of, of these kind of documentaries that I've seen I think on that note, we'll finish our conversation of The Damned. Don't you wish that we were dead? And I think overall, we could say that despite whatever shortcomings it has as a documentary, it's still definitely well worth you watching. For me, as a complete newbie, I'd, I'd suggest maybe go out and listen to albums like uh, Machine Gun Etiquette, Damn, Damn, Damned, or the other one you mentioned, Eric, The Black Album, which yeah. you mentioned earlier on. I'm, I've become a huge fan, and, and it's going to be a love that album episode i'm sure some stage in the next few months or even evil spirits that's just another fun album their, their latest one so it's time to talk about next month it's time to talk about august of 2019 now there are one of two things happening we either have an interview with a film director and i don't want to talk too much about that yet until i've 100 confirmed he's agreed in principle to come on the show but we just need to confirm a date so i'll confirm that on the facebook page once that's a done deal but if that doesn't come off for august then i've picked a film i think it's my turn that i only heard about for the first time yesterday i've no idea whether this is any good and maybe this is something eric that you've seen it's a 2018 film from finland called heavy trip oh yeah have you seen Sorry, this Bernie? a gasp of recognition there no i was listening to i think a recent gentleman's guide to midnight cinema and sammy was talking about watching this recently oh really i must have missed <laughs> yeah. that okay oh well i don't want to know what he thought because i don't want to get biased either way i've not watched this i was going through my uh, canopy list of films and seeing what was new on there and this was a, a newly released film on canopy and i believe that in the states it might be available on amazon prime it is on amazon prime terrific well you can play along with us on that one if that's what we do next month if we do the interview next month then we'll do heavy trip in september but that looks like a lot of fun i showed the trailer to max and oh is this going to be another film that makes fun of heavy metal fans and well <laughs> watch it with me and decide okay anyway so one of those two films that's the next couple of months covered if you want to get in contact with us please email us at seeherepodcast at gmail.com or you can join the Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash see here. You can download us through Stitcher, Spotify, or the website seehere.podbean.com. And you'll have to remind me, Bernie, once again. The, the uh, Instagram. The Instagram yeah, account. The infrequently updated Instagram page, uh, not page, Listen to me sounding like an old man. Uh, we are See Here Podcast, all one word. See Here Podcast on Instagram. So uh, if you just search for that, you can find us and uh, follow us and post a few things. And when upcoming episodes are coming up, I'll, uh, I'll post some teasers and so on. So join the Instagram fun. Did you post a photo of uh, Captain Sensible flashing his bum? I didn't. No, no, no. I did post a uh, photo of them all stood outside of a church looking uh, dangerous. Though, so good enough. Captain, I said, but 
I said, Captain, I said, what you want? I mean, is that guy with the mustache in that film clip supposed to be Basil Fawlty or an approximation of Basil Fawlty? He certainly looks it. That's a I haven't seen it for about 35 years, so uh, I can't remember, I'm afraid. YouTube is your friend. i got to say, I'm a sucker for uh, happy talk. I do like that. I do like that song. I don't particularly care for South Pacific as a musical. In fact, there's something weird about that uh, Captain Sensible's version of happy talk. It sort of sounds like it belongs in a David Lynch film. It's yeah. happy with something sinister going on underneath the surface. Right. In heaven, everything is fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully we can get you back for an episode where your uh, power won't be uh, so flimsy. We might wait till your winter, Eric. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that'll, there you oh, go. Thanks for joining us, however, briefly. Not a problem. It's a pleasure, as always. I, as I think I said to you, Bernie, over the week, this is less so much of a podcast as more an excuse that the three of us can get together and shoot the shit about films we just let other people listen to us yeah there you go exactly our monthly chat anyway until next month be nice to each other watch this film come up with some other great suggestions for music related films listen to some damned records if you've never done it before but just share the music share your love with people because what the world needs now is more Burt Bacharach okay until and more damned and more damned more Captain okay. Sensible we're all damned already <laughs> Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.